It takes both art and science to make a health benefits plan work for all stakeholders. How do you find both art and science, and what's the appropriate ratio? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, every once in a while, you have the pleasure of being able to have friends on the podcast. And that's just like, it's a great way to, this is the last one we're recording. This happened, you know, we, as some of you know, we record on Fridays. This is the last one I'm doing today. And so I have an old friend on, Allison Cohen DePauli. And she said something to me interesting that, that was interesting. And I thought it, it bore maybe a 30 minute or 20 minute discussion. She said it takes both art and science to make a health benefit plan work for all stakeholders. And I thought that was a really true statement, but it was an interesting statement because I don't think that a lot of us spend a whole bunch of time thinking about it that way. We get too hung up in in one aspect or the other, probably more the science and the stats and whatnot, especially these days where we're doing more self-funded plans and we're getting into more deconstructed plans so employers have more control. So I thought, you know, have Allison on. The last time she joined us was almost four years ago to the date. It was back in 2017. And a few things have changed with Allison. She's rebranded her agency and she's refocused. So first, welcome, Allison. Glad to have you back. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you. My pleasure. So talk about the rebrand and talk about the refocus, because I think that's a nice way to step into the story of what we're going to be talking about. Sure. So I spent a lot of years in the uh, voluntary benefits arena and with one carrier in particular, and that became a situation that needed to evolve. And I pivoted into the enrollment space and while I think we did okay at that, it was not something that I really enjoyed. And I was looking around at all of these really lovely clients thinking I could have solved that problem 15 years ago. I could have solved this problem 15 years ago. Why are you having this problem? Why are you doing this this way? And decided that, well, if I think this, I should just go do it. So one day I decided to go do it. And then shortly thereafter, a couple years ago, we did a rebrand to get away from the professional services. I think when I was in the enrollment side of the business that that was okay, but we do something a little bit more unique now. And one of our mutual friends did the rebrand for me and gave me this wonderful explanation as to how he came up with this name. But when I saw it, I saw Alternative and Boutique. And that is what we are. We are not for everybody. You know, we work with CEOs and executive teams who know that they have a problem and don't know how to fix it and don't want to pass any more of the buck onto their employees. They know they can't take it. It's not it's not a tenable solution for anybody. So alternative and boutique, we are. And we've grown pretty much in the last couple of years. And we have definitely learned that 
creating health plans that work for all of the stakeholders is not just science. There may be a recipe or a formula, but it doesn't work the same for everybody. And the art is in making sure that people understand that the employer is not trying to harm them. You know, there's a lot of suspicion between employers and employees. And the first reaction to we're going to change how we do something is what are you taking away from us? And I don't want to take anything away. I want I want an employer to offer more. So it's communicating that and then helping people work through the bumps in the road because there are bumps in the road in these plants, but they can be navigated. Implementing effective cost containment strategies is just kind of the the entry point and it, it maybe satisfies the CFO, but that's satisfying the CFO. It doesn't kind of give you a whole 360 degree view. Is that kind of where you're driving this to? That is where I'm driving it to, but I would refine that a bit further. Most CFOs or the CFOs that I like to work with and that we as a team seem to work most effectively with are not concerned with just the dollars. They are concerned with the total cost. And they are, you know, CFOs are being tasked with more and more every year, it seems. I mean, they've gone from about four responsibilities to about 12. They are also viewed as the most trusted executive in an organization by everybody. So they are engaging in what what is this, how does this work for our employees? Many of them, not all of them. How does this work for our employees? How can we do something a bit better? And I often get some version of, look, we'll spend the money if we have to, but it's not helping these people over here and we have to fix this. So that allows me and my team, greater flexibility to create something that works for that particular employer and their employees. Well, I mean, that's true because we got to a point a couple of years, a couple, three years ago, I remember chatting with you and our mutual friend at a conference about this. You get to the point where employees, especially hourly employees, are what I like to call functionally uninsured. They have an ID card in their wallet, but they can't afford to use it. And so to me, that's always seemed to be worse than not having a plan because it, it kind of is like sand in the in the wound or, or salt in the wound. So if you're trying to build a plan that affects all constituents positively, once you get past the design of the plan and whatnot, where do you start? What do you look at? What, what kinds of things do you bring to the table when you're having those discussions to say, we can solve that problem? Here's how we would go about doing it. So I am very much a change kind of person. And I have learned that that is not an effective way to engage in change management throughout an organization of, I don't know, more than five people. You really need to take people where they are and different stakeholders will be at different places. So coming in and saying, we're going to build a reference-based plan and we're going to use alternate sourcing for your medications and we're going to use this other strategy over here and then we're going to do this thing. First off, it scares the hell out of people. Sure. And when people are scared, they're like, whoa, nope, 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 not doing that. So when you can kind of take people where they are, okay, you're here. What you're telling me is you want to go here. So let us create a map to get you there. And, you know, we have a process for it. Literally get the information data, right? Data rules all. So get the data, understand what the actual problem is, because, you know, every employer has a different problem, you know. MSK issues may be an empl- a problem for one and diabetes may or metabolic syndromes may be a problem for another and preemie babies may be a problem for a third, right? 
they don't all require the same sort of solution. So what is the actual problem, right? Not what is the symptom, what is the actual problem? Then what solutions are right to deal with that? And what kind of timeline do you need to implement that? And you may take three or four or five years to get to the end goal, and that's okay. And I think most employers think that they it's either an apple or an orange, and it's not. It's a over time kind of thing. And then people have time to get used to the things that you're doing. And as you do more creative strategies and things that maybe require a little bit more buy-in, many employees are starting to understand that you're not trying to harm them. You're actually trying to do something a little better for them. How challenging it do you find it to help change the mindset, especially in the C-suite, of going from what they've always seen as 11 months in a cloud of dust and a renewal to, no, this is a long-term process and it's a longer-term solution to get us where we want to be without blasting your employees into outer space? What's that conversation like? It is a lot of conversation about risk management and predictability and helping executives to understand that If they're in an employer-controlled environment or a carrier-controlled environment, the components are all the same. You are just, when you control the environment, you have eliminated somebody else's profit. So even if you do everything else the same, you're going to save minimum 6, 8, 10%. That would be fairly typical just by moving into a self-funded environment. And then you can start to get at what your actual problems are. And when you're in a carrier controlled environment, you can't do it. And so when you start to talk about that, you have to talk about the risks as well. And I think I'm, we as a team are pretty good. I used to get in trouble with this with a sales manager I had about saying all the bad things first. Okay. These are the three things you need to watch out for. And then everything else is great. And this is great. And this is great. And this is great. And this is great. But I think people will trust you then. They don't think that you, you become more trustworthy. You become a trusted advisor when you clearly outline the pitfalls. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. I've kind of had an epiphany lately that part of the way that you get folks in the C-suite, especially to start thinking about their healthcare plans and their benefit plans writ large in a longer term scenario is that they're used to looking at data over different periods of time and over longer periods of time. When you move them to a self-funded plan, all of a sudden they have what? They have data. And so their data brain, which is like right next to the reptile brain, their data brain says, yeah, you know, we've got to get at least a year before we get credible data and then maybe 24 months until we really know what the hell's going on. So I I don't know if you found that as well, but I, you know, that's been the last couple of sales I've been a part of. 
I've noticed that that triggers them to say, okay, yeah, I yeah. understand how this needs to be a longer term process. Have you found that? I have found that. And I have also found it to be incredibly effective when I have a conversation with somebody about data and they don't really believe what I'm saying. And then I say, okay, go get your data and we'll have a conversation about it. And when they can't get it, if they thought something was wrong before, now they know something's wrong. That's a great point. That's a great point. So moving from, we've talked a lot about the employer side of, of the equation. Let's move over to the employee side of the equation, because I suspect that that's where at least a good portion of the art in the process belongs. How do you start communicating to employees? Because everything focuses around communication and in, in benefits, especially when you're dealing with a population of employees. Yes. So I think that the vomit up an employee benefit meeting once a year at open enrollment and move on will not work in this environment. You need a more global communication, right? You need communication that's pushing to everybody. And then you need to know where you need to intervene. For example? I love the tools that you put in people's pockets. You know, I, I hear a lot, well, they're not tech savvy. Well, they all have smartphones. Okay, There's very, very, very few people that don't have a smartphone. So I like apps that you can put on people's phones that will do push notifications and reminders and will also allow them to have everything that they need in one place. If I'm using a concierge medical management, it's on there. If we're using an alternate sourcing for prescriptions, it's on there. There's 24-hour advocacy on there. So you are you have somebody that can get information about a doctor, a bill. Uh, I don't know what to do. You can put telehealth on there. You can put behavioral health on there. You know, we have one client that is putting, they work with a, a company that does a particular MSK solution. And we're putting a tile for them on this particular application because MSK is an issue for them. So they'll get push notifications that they can go there, that they can get a second opinion, that maybe they could try this kind of exercise. So that is kind of global, but you really have to know how to intervene when somebody is having a serious medical condition. And let me give you an example. I have a client that they have very, very low claims, but they get two, maybe three things a year. Generally, somebody's having a baby. Those are usually okay. Somebody's having a cancer or a heart attack or some sort of, you know, there's a knee replacement or there's a, you know, some kind of $30,000, $40,000 thing. So, but their wage base is low. It's a skilled, semi-skilled manufacturing. So their wage base is a little bit lower. In the last 12 months, they've had several things, but a in specific, they've had a cancer claim and a knee replacement. And this is a reference-based pricing plan. And one member who has cancer, the hospital asked her to pay $4,000. And she knew she had a $4,000 deductible. And she said, well, I'm going to pay this $4,000 and I'm done. This was before they were my client. And nobody intervened to tell her what to do after that. So there were a number of things that landed in our lap to unwind. Now, fortunately, there are two very fortunate things here. One, we could unwind almost all of them. And when I talked with the employer about this, I said, okay, we've got about $8,500 that is not paid for currently. We're going to try to negotiate this out using strategy A, B, and C. If we can't, I want you to get out your checkbook and write a check. And he went, I want you to try to negotiate it out. And it's certainly not the patient's responsibility. We'll take care of it. 
Now we've got it almost all taken care of. So if there's anything, it'll be a few hundred dollars and that's fine. But if I didn't intervene, you know, if we didn't catch that when we saw it, then she would be in a world of hurt a year or two or three years down the line, because in her mind, she's done. That isn't always the case. And with the knee replacement, that is a completely different kind of patient. And every time she does something, she calls me and I say, do this. She does this. She said, okay, I did that. Great. We negotiated her knee replacement down from in the mid sixties to 37 to $23,000. So everybody's a little bit different. But just having an app on a smartphone in your pocket doesn't always equal engagement. No, it does not. So how do you go about getting engagement once you've provided those tools and made it easy for folks to use it, even though they don't really think about it a lot until they have a need. We do outbound dials. We see big diagnoses come in and we talk with the employer and we'll intervene with the employee. And and we, we have kind of a little process, excuse me, worked out now where we'll see something come in and I'll call the HR person and say, hey, what do you know what's going on here? Yes, this, that, the other, or no. And then I'm just like, you know what? Just have this person call me. And then we'll have a conversation about what is going on. We have a lot of conversations about balance bills and what to do. We do have a process in place to eliminate them, but the member does need to take action. And you can't just throw away your mail. If you get a bill, you can't just throw it away. So we talk about that a lot. And we don't talk about it one time a year. We talk about it a couple of times a year. And the, this particular employer also asked me, I do a weekly video that, that I send out, if I would create a couple of customized videos for them that they can use during their monthly meetings, talking about a couple of particular items. So it's ongoing. And you know you have to be willing to do something a little bit different. I mean, I, I hate to be on video. I do an awful lot of it. I don't like it, but it is an incredibly effective communication tool. Well, Google says that um, in the next couple of years, 70 plus percent of the content that's consumed is going to be video. Mm -hmm. That's why we've moved the podcast to audio and video, because it's just what people are looking for and and what they're doing. So when you do these videos, do you always kind of loop back to reminding them that they've got this fantastic tool sitting on their smartphone in their pocket and that they have these tools available to them? They're all tired of me saying that, but I do. Good. Does it move engagement? Does it move the needle on engagement? A little bit. It shortens the learning curve, I think, because once people know what to do, it's really not horrible to do what you need to do, right? It's a couple of things. And I also think that many employers and many advisors underestimate the power of an employee. Employees have budgets and families. They don't want to pay any more than they need to, and they want high quality care. We've done a horrible, horrible job of giving them tools to find that out. So give them the tools. I would agree with that. Do you you think that's a place where a lot of advisors kind of miss that part of the equation? Yes. It's not difficult. I mean, I don't understand why you you wouldn't understand that getting an employee engaged is the best way to create longevity as, as an advisor. Is it because, do you think it's because most advisors in your experience focus more on the C suite and then just let stuff trickle down to the employees? I think that many advisors don't want to engage with employees. And, you know, I've had, you know, more than 25 years at this point of taking employees where they are and figuring out how to communicate something in a way that can be understood because insurance is complicated, right? I mean, we're not talking, you know, go to Whataburger and buy lunch and these are the specifications. It's complicated. And, 
to find a way to make it simple. And I think until you talk to somebody, you you need that reference point, right? Where where are they? What do they understand? What do they not understand? So you can just give them the next step and then say, okay, do this and call me back. Or do these three things and you let me know where you run into trouble depending on where the person is. And I know that from my enrollment days. Most brokers, they don't, their structure is not set up so that they have the time to do that. Neither the producer nor the account manager. You've got a good sized book. How do you find the time to be on the phone with employees? I am not always on the phone with employees. I do have a team and we, you know, I was very, very fortunate in that I could construct this agency any way that I wanted to construct it. And we work very hard to automate everything that we possibly can so that when somebody needs help, we can actually provide a human to help. We're not perfect at it, but we're pretty good. Just like everything else at the end of the day, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Yes, it is. Great place to leave our interview today. Allison, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your expertise with the audience. Great to have you back. And now that we're done COVIDing, I look forward to seeing you in a real live location soon. I hope so. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.